Could I ask you to please turn to Matthew 18? We'll be starting at the first verse of Matthew 18. While you're looking for that, if you're looking in the pew or in the Bible in the seat in front of you, it's about three quarters of the way into the Bible, the book of Matthew. We'll be starting in chapter 18. Doug Nichols, um, he relates a story of his own experience at the beginning of his pursuing his call as a missionary, and he found himself with Operation Mobilization in India, and it was 1967, and he contracted tuberculosis. And so he found himself in a government-run sanatorium, and actually there was a great deal of resentment towards him as an American, because um, to these people, every American was rich. And so what was he doing in a government-free hospital as an American with all the others? And so they didn't understand that a missionary with OM, as a missionary with OM, he, he didn't have the resources either. And so he found himself in a foreign country and consigned to the sanatorium. And what was interesting is that as he entered there, he was trying to give out, you know, Gospels of John to the people that he encountered, and nobody, no one, was willing to receive them from him. He was pretty discouraged. Not only was he sick, but people were angry at him because of his nationality, and they certainly weren't open to the witness that he wanted to bring to them. So he would find that in the night, he would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, coughing, and that that would wake him up. And on one particular night, he noticed another patient that was near him was moaning softly and rocking, trying to get himself up and out of bed. And he was unable, and so he just fell back into his bed, sobbing. Well, the next morning, the stench in the ward was was overpowering. The man had wanted to go to the bathroom but was unable, and there there was no one to help him. And so the rest of the patients around were, were upset with the stench and they, they let the man know how they felt. And when the nurses came in, they dealt with him roughly. I mean, he was already embarrassed to begin with, but they dealt with him roughly. And uh, one of them even slapped him as she was caring for him. And so he was huddled up in a ball and crying. Well, the next night, Doug Nichols woke up at 2 a.m. again and the man again was rocking himself and trying to get out of his bed and and was unable. And then, having fallen back again, he was sobbing quietly. So Nichols got out of his bed and he he went over and he picked up, you know, he placed his hand under the person's head and under his knees and he picked him up and he, he carried him to the washroom. It's not like our modern washrooms, it was just a, you know, a hospital room that, that really stank a, a great deal. And this man was a featherweight, so it was not hard to carry him there. And he, he held him as he did his business. And then he picked him up again and carried him back to the ward. As he put him back in his bed, he, as he was leaning to, you know, forward to place him back in the bed, the man leaned forward just a little bit and kissed him on the cheek and said something to him that he thought was thank you. Well, the interesting thing was that the next morning at 4 a.m., 
A patient in the ward that Doug Nichols had noticed before woke him with a cup of steaming hot Indian tea and asked him if he could have one of the Gospels of John. For the rest of the day, for the rest of that week, there was a steady stream of people asking him for the information that he had wanted to provide them when he entered the hospital. Nurses, interns, doctors, patients, all of them wanted to have the Gospels of John that he had wanted to provide. And all he'd done, all he'd done was offer a brief service to a person who they considered the least among them. As you're looking at Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles handy because we'll look at a few other passages that help us to understand this one. But let's start with Matthew 18. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, the kingdom of heaven, that, that's a synonym for the kingdom of God. Um, Jewish people, they want to be very careful about using God's name in vain. And so Matthew especially, not always, but especially when he writes, he's very careful to, um, whenever he can, not to say God, but to say heaven. And so he says the kingdom of heaven but it means the same thing as the kingdom of God. So that's what they were asking him. Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the child to himself and he set him before them. You know, he's, he's creating a, a live object lesson, uh, an enacted parable, if you will. And he sets this child before them for them to look at and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are converted. See, he's saying unless you turn from the way you're going and change, unless you turn and change, this is Jesus' response to their question. Unless you turn around, unless you repent, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't even get in. I mean, those were strong words for Jesus' disciples to hear. Can you imagine hearing Jesus say something like that to you over something that you're doing? Can you imagine? You know, these guys, they had left everything to follow him, they had left their families. And Jesus says, unless you become, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus continues the object lesson. The the child is still in front of them. And he says, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is now explaining what, what they need to become like children in. What they need to become like children in. What they need to repent and change in. 
What does Jesus mean when he says, whoever then humbles himself as this child? What does he mean when he calls them to do that? Is it that children are somehow innocent of selfishness? Is it that they are somehow able to consistently model humility? It's hard for us to instantly catch what Jesus was saying, but for them, for for his disciples and, and the audience that was listening to him in the first century, it was not that hard to catch. You see, they, they had read the, the Old Testament and they were familiar with how in the Old Testament you were supposed to rise for the gray-haired. You were supposed to give them your seat. Age was respected. And so the older you were, the more honored you were. The younger you were, the lower your status. And so they knew what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is that it, to his disciples is that they need to become like those of low social status. The child of no social status was in front of them, and they were supposed to become like this child. It wasn't about the child's feelings of humbleness. It's about willing to become socially insignificant, taking on a low social status, lowering yourself to no status in your own eyes. Now, the easiest way for us to to discover that, even if we aren't familiar with all the things that they would have understood back then is to look at the textual parallels. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he inspired the gospel writers to write the gospels, he often inspired them to use their own words, to to rephrase what Jesus had said while keeping his meaning, while keeping what he had said, but to rephrase it somehow to make it easier to understand for their audience. And we are super glad that the Spirit inspired them to do that because that helps us to understand things like this where we're not quite sure how we should read it. So let's look at Mark, the next book after Matthew 9, chapter 9, and we'll start at verse 33. Mark 9, 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house... He began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve, the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, if anyone wants to be greatest, right? This is the word that Luke is inspired to use. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Did you catch that? Becoming humble as a child, becoming lowly as a child, what the Greek word there means, is here being talked about as becoming the last, the last among them, becoming the servant of all. 
And then Jesus goes on to talk about receiving a child. But did you catch what it meant? Did you catch what he means? Becoming as a child means becoming socially last of all so as to be the servant of all. You see, this low social status of children makes sense for why the disciples want to keep children from Jesus. If you're quick, please, please look over to Luke chapter 18. Do you remember how um, they had brought the children to Jesus? And they, they wanted him to touch them and pray over them and to hold them. And in verse 16, you know, the, the disciples are already rebuking these people, these parents, these moms and maybe dads. They're rebuking them and keeping them from Jesus. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, belongs to such as these. Do you hear what he's saying? That's how you... That's what you have to become to get into the kingdom. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That's why... That's why the disciples don't want these parents bugging Jesus with these kids because these kids are socially insignificant. Why bother the master with people who are so socially insignificant? But Jesus says, no, the kingdom belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child like someone of low social status, as someone willing to make themselves that, will not enter it at all. And so as you return back to Matthew 18, verse 5, how do we do this? How do we become, how do we think of ourselves as having that kind of low social status? What does it look like to become of low status in your own eyes? Become the last of all. What does that look like? See, Jesus goes on to say in verse 5 that whoever receives one such child, still the object lesson, they're still looking at this kid, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. You see, we're not sure what the in my name means 100%. It either means that Jesus says, you're receiving them because you're a disciple of mine. You represent me, and so you're receiving them as a disciple of mine. Or it means that the child is a disciple of his. And so you're receiving someone who believes, who might be of the lowest social status, but they believe See, the word for receiving there, it's, it's a pretty rich word. It means to welcome, but it also means to show a generous reception to a person in how you treat them. You know, to serve the, the child's needs, 
That's what it looks like to become lonely. That's, that's what it looks like to be humble. It's acted out. And so to become like a child means social humbling. Becoming the least on the totem pole. The least in social status so as to be logically required, even correspondingly willing to serve the least. See, if, you think, if you're able to think of yourself socially low, then it's not an issue for you to serve other people that the world would consider to be socially low. It's just logically required of you. You see, back then, if, if somebody came to visit your house just from the town and they, they were not a very important person, they were just kind of socially normal, maybe socially low, then you would, you would send your youngest son to the door to welcome them in, to receive them in. If they were, however, somebody who was more important within the town or or village or city that you were in, you would perhaps send your oldest son to welcome them in and so honor them in that way by sending someone older, someone more socially important. If there was someone who came to the door and they were really important, let's say the mayor, the equivalent of the mayor is showing up or or a rabbi, um, you would probably go to the door yourself. And so to receive the child, to welcome the child, is to think of yourself as one who should be, you know, the one who should be going to the door. Even if it's just a child that's there. Even if it's the socially least who are showing up. It means being willing to serve even those who everyone around, you know, all the other people around us classify as the socially least. It's being the servant of all, right? You see, when, when Luke is inspired to, to say it that way for us, being the servant of all, he's not using the word all in the quantitative sense, in the sense of every single person. You can't do that. None of us can. He's using the word in the qualitative sense. Every kind of person, from the socially low to the socially high, every kind of person. You're willing to be the servant of all. And that means even serving the least. So when you look at at the passage in Luke, the parallel passage, it's going to be Luke 9, and we'll just turn to that right now. We see that again. Luke 9, starting at verse 46. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side. And he said to them, notice what he says, he right away jumps to the being, to the doing of lowliness. He says, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. You know, he's telling them how to become great. 
Luke's inspired to jump right into that, the, the how of it. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, the one who takes on the lowest social position to do this, this receiving, this is the one who is great. Jesus does this, right? He, we've just seen him doing this in Luke with the kids that the disciples are trying to keep away from him because they're too insignificant to bother the master with them. Jesus does this. And not only does he do, does he do it when there's kids around, but this is what his incarnation is all about. This is what, you know, what we read about in Philippians 2, how he became lowly in order to reach us, in order to reach people. You know, Jesus experientially knows what this means in ways that you and I will never comprehend. He knows what this means. Can you imagine? I mean, he's God. He takes on human form and then he walks around among people and most of the people that he hangs out with, they snub him. They don't give him the honor that he deserves, that his social... He's got the ultimate social status. He's God. He doesn't get the treatment he deserves. He knows what it's like to become lowly so as to serve even those who are way below him. So when we think about this in terms of practical theology, when you think about this in terms of how do I, how do I wrap my mind around this and try to live this out? What does it mean? Being humble doesn't mean just feeling humble. Right? We already saw that. It means doing lowly things. It means welcoming a child, receiving the least. You see, humility has to be real enough. Your humility, our humility, has to be real enough to cause you to act. It's not just feelings. That's how you become great. You know, the irony of the world is that when you take on this, the role of being like the child, of being socially least, when you take on the role of becoming the last, becoming the servant, the irony is that you'll often be treated like one. You will often be treated like one. You see, people around you, and maybe you've caught yourself doing this, we will consciously or subconsciously put people, you know, into categories. And we categorize someone who is being lowly as someone that we maybe can be less careful with. 
less circumspect around because in our minds, maybe subconsciously, we've kind of put ourselves above them, right? It doesn't matter what they think of us as much. See, Jesus knew this. He experienced this. But that's how you become great. That you're willing to take that. It's got a cost to it, but you're willing to eat it. So how do we do this at church? When you think about, you know, getting together with other believers... How does this work itself out, this calling that Jesus gave us? How does that work itself out in our lives among other believers, especially on, on the day that we worship together? Well, if you have the privilege of being involved with Sunday school or, or you know, the kids' time during the service, you have the privilege of becoming great. You see, you're doing kind things for people, young people, that can't benefit you. You know, a child can't help you get ahead. You can't network with them. And so your kindness towards that child when you're involved with kids' ministry or youth ministry is it's more loving than just being nice to other people that you need or other people that do something for your social status. Kids can't help you get ahead. We're, you know, we're giddy, most of us, to to be able to spend time with kids and, you know, we can love them to pieces, but back in those days, they really much understood that the kid, as important as they are, the child, they are of low social status and they're not going to help you get ahead. And that's exactly why Jesus picks the child as the object lesson. So how, who else, when you think about it, who else when we gather as a church, who else is like that? Who else is like the child for you? Perhaps it's the visitors, right? They're not going to, your investment in them isn't going to be paid back. They might not even be here the next Sunday, right? Perhaps it's the newcomers. You know, serving those kind of people who are not within our social thinking usually, um, that, takes, that takes something from us, right? It's, it's going to cost you and me, um, it's going to cost us some emotional energy at minimum, right? If we're going to say more than just hello, it's going to cost us some emotional energy. You know, the conversation might not go as well as we hoped, right? Maybe it's happened to you as it's happened to me, um, where... You know, you're getting into a conversation with someone, you're trying to be friendly and um, maybe trying to say something humorous and it backfires, 
And the conversation is getting more and more awkward by, you know, by the word. It takes a risk to serve the least. You're going to sometimes have awkward conversations. You will. Okay, maybe you won't, but I, I do. <laughs> All right? And so, you know, you go into that knowing it. And you live with it. <laughs> and you try to learn from it and do better next time. Because it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about the person you're trying to serve. That's what it means to become great. You know, sometimes for us it's people who don't dress like we do. Sometimes it's people that um, are a bit more handicapped than we are. You know, how do you look at these people? You know what's so beautiful about this? this calling of Jesus, it's that anyone can do it. Anyone. You don't need degrees. You don't need a particular job. Any of us as believers can do this. Maybe you're like me and you've seen people who are very handicapped be very good at this, at welcoming others, at trying their best to make them feel welcome. It's wonderfully just that God has called us to this. We can all do it. So back to verse 5 in Matthew 18. You see, when you do this, when you serve even the least, people like the child... When you do this, you are serving Jesus. When you have done it to one such child in my name, you have done it unto me, he says. You're serving Jesus. When you, when you think about yourself differently, when you put yourself in your mind in a socially low position so that you're willing to logically do this for other people that you you know, the world considers low. You're doing it to Jesus. How would you treat him if he came to your door? Which son would you send? Would you go yourself? How would you treat him if he came to your church? So can I ask us together just to think about, about how we've responded to God's grace. You know, Jesus has done that, right? He's gone from being in the presence of God, being equal with God, to being lowly and taking on human form for us. He's done that. Does that well up into joy for you? Does that, does that just cause gratitude within you? 
And does that make you want to turn around and become great? You see, the kingdom of heaven awaits its heroes. Your master is spurring you on to become great. Welcome him. You see, you and I, we're called to greatness. And that's what verse 4 is about, right? Whoever then humbles himself as, as this child, he is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is not against you becoming great. He's, in fact, calling you to it by telling you how to get there. We're called to greatness. Each of us, we can all do it. Jesus is revealing the way to get there. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Eventually, right? It probably won't be down here. Down here, probably people will do the subconscious thing and treat you like the servant that you're being. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted eventually. Jesus is calling you to become great. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're amazed at you. We're amazed at how gracious you are, how much you love us wherever we happen to be, whether we're high or low or in between or not even sure. You don't care. You haven't cared. And so you came to us no matter who we were, no matter what the world thought of us, you didn't care. And so we're we're super grateful to you. And now to hear Jesus saying saying that same same kind of stuff to us, to, to be calling us to be like him even in that, in being lowly. Spirit, we... We don't always know how to respond to that. And so we ask that you would, you would shine light on parts of our lives when, where we can grow in this, that you would uh, show us things that we haven't seen, ways that we can be last of all that we haven't thought about yet. Jesus, thank you for calling us to be great. Thank you for giving us a path to walk, calling us to big things. And we ask that you would strengthen us by your spirit so that we would respond to you. We confess we were sometimes as shocked as your disciples were about what you say. But we want to, we want to respond. So we ask you to take us as we are. Cause us to turn in the areas that we need to turn in. 
and make us great. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus our Lord, equip you for every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.